This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm letting you know it's time for our radio show. I'm your courtesy call, Bill Curtis. And here is your host at the Studebaker Theater at the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, Illinois. It's Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. So we are still off on our summer break, and we are spending it standing outside the White House waiting to be invited inside for the inevitable presidential celebration of our 25 years on the air. Ain't no party like a Biden party, because (laughs) a Biden party don't stop. So while we wait for the president to wave us all in, we will share with you more of the reasons he should do it, with highlights from our first 25 years on the air, including stuff that remains relevant today. For example, this summer marks the 50th anniversary of the debut of the first album by Queen. So, enjoy this conversation with founding guitarist Brian May, who joined us in 2017 to talk to us about his other enthusiasms, like 3D photography. Thank you very much. I spent a good part of yesterday evening with your book of these amazing stereoscopic photos and the great little viewer that comes with them, enjoying right. these, these 3D pictures of your band and its history and Freddie Mercury and your other friends and musicians. And I have one thing to ask you. How is it that in all the years that you've been in the public eye, your hair has never changed? <laughs> Did any, but nobody ever came to you and said, and said, Brian, you know, now it's 19, 1990s. We need to cut your hair. Is anything yeah, like- they do it all the time. I, I have a good answer for that, but it's probably not repeatable on your <laughs> <laughs> So, it, it, So there are so many things that are interesting about you. You were, as, as I said, uh, you were pursuing your doctorate in science when the band started, right? I was, yeah, in, in astronomy, in what they now call astrophysics, yeah, and I gave it up, and I thought I was actually doing astrophysics a favor by choosing the other option. Really? <laughs> yeah, and I also thought, you know, there's a window opening here, and if I don't kind of walk through, or a door opening, I should say, and I thought if I don't walk through right now, that that door will never open again. So I went off and, uh, against all the odds, became a rock star for some reason. Yeah, and that, that seemed to have worked out pretty well for you. It's okay. It's been okay so far. It yeah. really has. But wait, So wait, you, so you, you're suggesting that you were not a good astrophysicist? You know, I didn't think I was. What would make a bad astrophysicist? Like you well, weren't looking in the right... Well, what would make a bad astrophysicist would be like not being able to complete your PhD, which is what happened. You know, I couldn't oh. please my supervisor. So 30 years later... I found myself with another supervisor, and he liked what I did. So I kind of updated my vision of myself. I discovered it's a common thing. People tend to have, like, no confidence in themselves when they're trying to do a PhD. So listen, anybody out there, if you're doing your PhD, you've got to believe, okay, because don't wait 30 years like I did. But I got it after 30 years. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. What, what, what I love is that you going in to get your PhD, not as, a, not as young Brian May, but as Brian May, the guitarist of Queen. I mean, yeah. did, did you like your oral exams? Did you come in and say, I could answer your questions or I could just do the riff from We Will Rock You? <laughs> well, you know, they were tough on me. I think they had to be because they couldn't be seen to kind of make it easy for me. You know? So they gave me hell in, in the fiver. And, you know, I got a, a whole sheaf of stuff that I had to do in order to finish it off. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, that's the way it was, you know, and I was just happy to have the opportunity because, um, you know, it was like full circle in my life. I wanted to complete that circle. So, and it gives me a chance to hang out with, with cool astrophysicists and, and astronauts, and I have a great time. I bet Did they try I, to work in any Queen stuff during the defense of your dissertation? Like, you may think you're the champion, Mr. May, <laughs> but this panel thinks otherwise. Do they do anything corny like that? No, not really, but, you know, there are links, strangely enough, you know, because I, I kind of, de- my, my thesis was on dust, you know, real dust in the solar system, and uh, I had a few quotes in there, like the Joni Mitchell quote, you know, uh, you know, we are stardust, we are gold, which is true, you know, we are, we are the products of supernovas, 
uh, otherwise you wouldn't have any he uh, heavy elements. And there's been a recent discovery on that. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Gold being created in these... Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. This collision of neutron stars. Where's Joni Mitchell at on her PhD? The, the, yeah. <laughs> the great thing is that most of the astrophysicists that I know are big rock fans, you know, and they, they have way more tattoos than I have. Really? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but they have, like, tattoos of Einstein and... and <laughs> Now, this is the amazing thing about this book, because in addition to your interest in astrophysics and obviously shredding on the guitar, you are a huge photography nerd, and you were, totally. you, you were always into 3D photography. Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine, though, that you, it must have been like the mid-70s and in the, in the absolute apogee of like the rock and roll lifestyle, and there's the cocaine, and there are the groupies, and there's the liquor, and you're like trying to get everybody to hold still so you can take a 3D photograph. <laughs> guys, guys, well, come I'm on. I'm not going to contradict you there. <laughs> Should we just move on? All right, I will. Every high school student has the same story, I imagine, on the way to uh, sports events. Yeah. Like when I played uh, uh, lacrosse in high school. Yeah. Uh, and this is when you didn't have to sit down on the bus. Uh, um, I don't know why, but we came from a time where no one cared, really, if we fell out. Um, what were you doing on the bus? We were on our way to, like, a, a, a sports match, you know, uh, like yeah. to a, an away game with another lacrosse team. And uh, we would bang our sticks on the roof of the bus. How this cool. driver tolerated, I'll never know. And we would uh, and we would scream at the top of our lungs the, the lyrics to, you know, we are the champions. And it was Great. so much fun. Oh, yeah. Did well, you guys ever win a match? Uh, no. And then, and, and then what, what, no good whatsoever. Yeah, what, what would you sing on the drive back? Another one bites the dust. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask what, like, in in the creation of an amazing iconic song like Bohemian Rhapsody, um, uh, did Freddie Mercury write those lyrics? Absolutely. And yeah. like, what was it like when he says, "Okay, these are going to be the words to this song." <laughs> We had a kind of unwritten law, you know, generally the song was kind of the, the province of the writer and the writer would have the final say. So, yeah, we didn't really discuss it. We didn't say, you know, why are you saying that, Freddie? It was just, so no one looked at him when he started singing Scaramouche? Right. <laughs> Can you, you know, do the Fandango? I mean, this stuff is really fun to do in the studio. Nobody's oh, ever I'll done it before, you know. No, absolutely. I'd never heard anything like that in my life <laughs> when that song came out. But, yeah. And you won't again, huh? I yeah. know, I, I know. know. Yeah, so you guys just, you know, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, and... <laughs> Not even looking at one another? <laughs> I can imagine. It does Last fun. question. As an astrophysicist, because this is interesting how you both do both, can you scientifically explain how it is that fat bottom girls make the world go round? <laughs> yeah, I think that's still true. I was just lucky to find out early. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian May, we could talk to you all day, but we have business to do. We've asked you here to play a game we're calling... Have a peanut buster parfait. You, of course, as we have been discussing, are one of the founders of Queen, one of the iconic rock bands of all time. So we thought we'd ask you three questions about Dairy Queen. <laughs> about what? Dairy Queen. You might have come across it in your travels across America. It's a popular <laughs> ice cream and fast food well, franchise here. I've been looking forward to so much. Oh, you are. <laughs> Answer two questions about... Uh, by the way, I should say that absolute ignorance is always an advantage in this particular game. Well, you got it in this case. All right. <laughs> I'm just picturing the Queen tour right. bus pulled up to a Dairy Queen. <laughs> It'd be the greatest day of those people's lives. Just yeah. Freddie just marching in. And blizzards for the lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we. <laughs> this, is, this is already yeah. going very well. <laughs> so the question, though, for Bill is who is a legendary guitarist and astrophysicist Brian May playing for? Ella Jones of Baltimore, Maryland. All right, there we go. Just two right, and we win it all. None right. Who cares? Here we go. Dairy Queen has given us so much by way of frozen treats: the blizzard, the Dilly Bar, the Oreo Brownie earthquake. But it's also responsible for what other wonderful thing? A, the defibrillator device. B, the band No Doubt. Or C, avocado toast. <laughs> I would say none of the above, but <sighs> I have no idea. The defibrillator. I'm going for the defibrillator. You could use a defibrillator in any Dairy Queen, but the answer is the band No Doubt. Really? Because it me. turns out that Gwen Stefani and two of her bandmates met and formed their band at a Dairy Queen in Anaheim, California, where they both all worked there. I'm on the edge oh. of my seat. 
but we have other things. Uh, the dairy, there's this Dairy Queen, one of them, in Moorhead, Minnesota, and it's legendary because it still uses all the old recipes, and it was the place where their famous Dilly Bar treat was invented. Now, the owner there invented a number of other things that corporate never liked, so they didn't catch on nationally, including which of these? What are these failed Dairy Queen treats? A, the Flaming Sunday. B, the Meat Shake. Or C, the heck of a job brownie. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, I'm going to go for number one. The Flaming Sunday, you're right. Whoa! The Flaming Sunday. Sunday. Uh, Sugar cube doused with liquor, set it on fire. Very attractive. Um, (laughs) So your last question, if you get this right, you win, which I'm sure will go well with your CBE. Um, (laughs) Last question. Dairy Queen has a deep, dark secret, something they would rather that you, none of us, would know. What is it? A, their original name was Dairy Fairy. (laughs) B, their ice cream isn't actually ice cream. Or C, the chain is wholly owned by the government of Iran. (laughs) (laughs) He's operating at a slight disadvantage having never been to a Dairy Queen. (laughs) That's true. Uh, I I, I think B. Yes, you're right. There you go. No, it's true that th- their product, their frozen soft serve, cannot be legally called ice cream because it doesn't have enough real cream in it. <laughs> Bill, how did Brian May do in our quiz? He is a champion. There we go. Two out of three. My friend. Brian May is an astrophysicist, guitar legend, and one of the founders of the great rock bands of all time. That would be Queen. His new book, which is completely worth the hours you will spend staring at it, it's of stereoscopic photos he took. It's called Queen in 3D. It is out now. Brian May, what a joy to talk to you. Thank you Thank so you much for, a- for being here. <laughs> Brian May, everybody. I like ice cream and all different flavors of ice cream. I got chocolate, cherry, vanilla mix, berry, coffee, cream tastes good to me. When we come back, the woman who took out Justin Bieber and the two brothers who made Chicago funny. That's when we return with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, Illinois, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Would you kind? So, we are more than halfway through our 25th anniversary year. So we're thinking our invite to the big Kennedy Center celebration of us must have gotten lost in the mail. So while we stare forlornly into the window of the post office, here's some more reasons why they should give us a medal. In 2011, there was a huge upset at the Grammys. The award for Best New Artist did not go to the favorite, Justin Bieber, but to a young jazz bassist from Portland named Esperanza Spalding, who joined us to talk about that in 2016. Hey, hey, hey. So there are more origin stories for you out there than there are for, like, Batman. Yeah. So could you tell us a story? You, you were growing up in, in a rough section of Portland, Oregon, right? Yeah, and I was walking in this dark tunnel, and a penguin came out and attacked my parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. And they <laughs> bowed. 
from that moment on, yes, I did grow up in a rough neighborhood in Portland. I, w- yeah. When I when I read, you know, a rough neighborhood of Portland, I'm like, what? They didn't have kombucha bars there. I mean, exactly. It was rough. It was, our green juice was like only kale. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. But, but the various stories about how you came to music, I, I read one that you were inspired by Yo-Yo Ma on Mr. Rogers. Yeah, yeah. And wildly enough, later I saw a tape of that episode. And yeah. when he goes to make Believe Land, the two women characters are playing an upright bass and the other one is dressed as an upright bass. So <laughs> I think it was like some subconscious hypnotism that happened when I was five and right. I ended up playing the bass later. Well, what drew you to playing the bass? Nothing that I can recall, but the sound is tremendous, you know? It it sits on your hip bone, and it vibrates your skeleton, and it's, like, kind of musically orgasmic. It's it's incredible, I have to confess. It's it's purely for self-interest of, of pleasure. Mm. <laughs> What's crazy is that's the dirtiest thing anyone said on public radio, yeah. and it's all... Totally allowable. Yeah. I can start like a, like a hotline where we talk a lot, about A dad. lot of musicians are looking at their cellos and violas and going, you've never given me any pleasure. <laughs> you were a jazz musician growing up in Portland. We're, we're like, were the streets of Portland at that time in your neighborhood filled with like jazz bands? <laughs> um, no. But there was a lot of music here. I mean, you know it's a music town. Yeah. And there's a really beautiful philosophy of, of mentorship here. So up-and-coming musicians can easily reach out and find a loving teacher. And that's definitely what happened to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and you, you have yourself become a teacher, right? You've, you were the youngest person ever to teach at the Berklee School of Music. Yes, probably unfortunately for my students. But I had a good time. That's important. <laughs> hey. The, the students no, were like, kidding. Miss Spalding's class is interesting, but she's got a weird relationship with that bass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have your own bass, or are you, uh, shall we say, polyamorous, polyamorous <laughs> with basses? Because I'm just—it must be a pain in the butt. Because this is an enormous instrument, it must be a pain in the butt to carry the damn thing around. That is the drawback. But then I look at what drummers go through of like lugging their gear from here to there and setting it up, and I think no, it's okay. It's just—it's just big. And fortunately, I'm—I'm I'm comfortable with the concept of bass du jour. So I travel, we have a little, you know, blind date, get to know each other, do the gig, and it's all good, you know? Wow. Mm. Is, is there I like... I don't know what the hell's up with this allegory. I can't, I can't seem to get out <laughs> I have to talk to you about uh, 2011. You won the Grammy for Best New Artist. That is like the first time they ever gave that award to a jazz musician. Is that right? Uh-huh. That's correct. And or at least, at least an openly... Jazz musician, yeah. You were, you were out and proud. You're not one of those yeah. closeted jazz guys. Exactly. And exactly. everybody that year expected it was going to be Justin Bieber because he had just released his first record. Yeah, did, including me. You thought I it was going to be Justin Bieber. Of course. And, and when they announced your name, what did you think? Nothing. Nothing registered. It was like this void of silence. I was like, oh, my God, I have to remember to thank this person, that person, this person. Why didn't I plan a speech? This is horrible. What am I going to do? Don't fall on your face. This dress is too long. Are you wearing a bra? Did you put on deodorant? Oh, my God. Yeah. It was like like an automatic reel of concerns that just started automatically playing when I heard my name. And it played until I got to the stage. And I actually kept playing as I was speaking. So I don't even remember that moment, to tell you the truth. That's amazing. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure you, you wish that you could have just been back in the arms of your base. Um, <laughs> glad you're here. Yeah, thank you. Esperanza Spalding, we're delighted to talk to you, and we have invited you here to play a game we're calling All Your Bass Are Belong to Us. <laughs> so you famously play the bass and maybe more. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd ask you about three other kinds of basses. Get two out of three right, and you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Carl Castle's voice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Esperanza Spalding playing for? Ken Powell from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. Right on. Right on. Your first base is base jumping. That is, jumping off high buildings or mountains with a parachute that hopefully opens before you hit the ground. Which of these is a real base jumper? Is it A, Whisper, the base jumping dog? B, Amber Sky, an exotic dancer slash bass jumper who wears only a parachute. Or C, the flying McDaniels, an entire family of four who jumps off cliffs strapped to each other. I bet it's Amber Sky, and I bet she's from Portland, Oregon. (laughs) I will say this, Esperanza, knowing Portland as I do, if Amber Sky existed, she would be from Portland. (laughs) But it was really Whisper the Bass Jumping Dog. 
Whisper is the pet of noted adventurer Dean Potter, who straps Whisper to his back and jumps Ooh. off things. And Peter's okay with this? I, you know, we'll, we'll have to find out. Maybe they're okay. just hearing about it now. Okay. <laughs> All right, you still have two more chances. Second base is baseball, the great American pastime. Uh-huh. One of the worst baseball players ever was one Smeed Jolly. <laughs> Mr. Jolly was an outfielder during the 1930s, and he is famous in baseball history as being the only major league player ever to do what? A, to run the bases backwards, third to second to first, where he was easily put out. B, while playing the outfield, he committed three errors all by himself on one play. Or C, once again in the outfield, he missed an easy pop fly because he was busy trying to teach a pigeon a trick. (laughs) I think I'm going to go with the first one. He ran the bases backward. Following your instincts has brought you everywhere you are today, so who am I to argue? In this case, of course, you were wrong. He um, committed three errors all by himself. This is what happened. Grounder to this outfielder, goes through his legs... First error. He turns around, it bounces off the outfield wall, rolls back towards him, goes through his legs again. Amazing. Second error. Finally, he grabs the ball, throws it to the cutoff man, sails it way over his head. Three errors, one play, never been surpassed. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow. You have one more question. Okay. And the third base is Ace of Base, the great <laughs> Swedish pop group. Early on, they almost didn't make it. They almost failed before they ever had a chance. The Mm. producer they sent their demo to just didn't like it, but that producer changed his mind when what happened? A, he visited an Ikea for the first time and just Mm. fell in love with all things Swedish. B, Mm. the tape got stuck in his tape deck in his car and he was forced to listen to it over and over for two weeks, (laughs) at which point he started liking it. Or C, he saw the sign and it opened up his eyes. Yeah. He yeah. saw the sign. He just opened up his eyes and saw the sign. Yeah. I think it has to be the second. You're right, it was. Okay. How? Okay. I don't know about baseball. How did you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, after two weeks, he heard something in Ace of Bass's music. He didn't hear the first time. And he said, I think I'm going to produce this. Yeah. Bill, how did Esperanza Spalding do in our She's quiz? got game. She got one right. Then we love having her here, Esperanza. <laughs> Esperanza, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. What thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. One of the best things that happened to Chicago in recent years was entirely made up, a sitcom called Southside, created by and starring two brothers, Bashir and Sultan Salahuddin. Who, unlike some people who become icons of Chicago, like, say, us, actually grew up here. I did not ask to be born in New Jersey, Bill. (laughs) But you didn't object either. Here are the Salahuddin brothers. Yes, we grew up on the south side of Chicago, uh, in Gresham. Uh, and uh, one person, Woo! thank you. Yeah. One guy up there's like, that's right, Gresham! <laughs> I came here to make sure you guys were going to rep. So Bashir, yeah. you, went, you went IDs for college, and you got into comedy writing. You wrote for Jimmy Fallon, right? I wrote for Jimmy Fallon you and your in New partner. York. Uh, lived in New York, me and uh, my, my writing partner, Diallo Riddle. Yep. We actually got there before the show even started. And everybody's like, oh, we have no idea what's going to happen. And we looked up a couple years later. We had some Emmy nominations. We were writing for Uh-oh. President Obama. Oh, yeah, I heard that. The, yeah, you, that awesome. famous appearance of President Obama on Slow, Slow Jam, Jam, Jam News. News. You right. guys wrote that. Yeah, we did. And in fact, here's something. I wrote the first pass. And I've never told anybody that. But I'm, I'm in a bragging kind of mode right now. Do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and you know, we, we got to meet uh, the president, and he couldn't have been more nice. And he really how, wanted to have a good time. How much did he put in his own stuff? Like, did he improvise? I mean, he, you know, he's a natural. There, there are detractors who would say, oh, Obama's a ham. And anyway, like you, so... Like you just said. <laughs> Sultan, so he's out there. hot, y'all. So, so, so I'm going to catch up with Sultan. So yeah. Bashir is out there. He's doing comedy writing. What are you doing at this time? I was doing stand-up comedy in the Midwest for a while. I was cracking jokes and making people laugh and busting heads. And, <laughs> but, I, you know, I went to college, had a couple of kids, did, you know, did the normal domestic stuff. And then I decided to uh, 
start writing at the urge of my brother and uh, yeah. pin the show Southside and send it to my brother and he pinned it and we went past it and next thing you know, we're here. So wait a minute. So you're the guy, Sultan, who came up with the idea for the show? Boom. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Since we're bragging. Yeah. Now there's a look for radio audience. Not the only benefit. one that's cool. There's a look in Bashir's face, right? This just reminds me of back when I was inventing the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, show, the show is about two guys, mm-hmm. one of whom you play Sultan, mm-hmm. yeah. who worked for a rent-to-own company, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. spending a lot of time, and they got like side hustles upon side hustles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bashir, you play a Chicago cop, I do, who is yeah. not the best cop. There's a lot of things about the show that I want to talk to you guys about, but one of them is its tone, and I was mm-hmm. watching it because all this stuff happens, mm-hmm. and it just gets crazier and crazier and yeah. crazier as the show goes on until stuff is happening. Like, what? And I was like, this is like Seinfeld. In, High praise. Thank well, you. All right. And I Thank actually, because you. you know, it's, it's, you heard it here first, folks. Little, little Seinfeld, Seinfeld sauce for you. In the classic Seinfeld episodes, somebody would do something small and they'd get dumb about it and right. they would just increase yeah. in dumbness until. The old snowball effect. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I actually heard that you guys actually had that in mind when you created the show, that you wanted to be like a Seinfeld for the South Side. Is that right? Um, you know, we definitely wanted something that moved the way Seinfeld moved in terms of being funny. I think sometimes when you deal with, with content, especially black content, um, there's always this impetus and this need to put something deep into it. As if yeah. there's like, and I don't mean deep as in our show doesn't have meaning, but our show doesn't need you to have characters prove they're from the South Side because they cry. Right. right. <laughs> because they're running from bullets. You know, we don't have very special episodes where I grab them and go, hey, brother, what's going on? <laughs> and also, I, as an actor, am not qualified to do he that cares. level of work. He really cares. Yeah, exactly. So we said, no, we want something, we want people all over the world, and especially on yeah. the South Side, to come home and feel lifted up and to, you know, to let that ebullient spirit of the show really pervade every morsel and ounce of who they are as a person. And then tell other people about it so they watch, much like we're doing right now. Right. <laughs> I understand. A boolean. A boolean. And, and I think that's, that's what, the word. By the way, he debt me $5. I wouldn't use that word. <laughs> oh, well, Bashir and Sultan, it is a real joy to meet you in person. <laughs> Thanks for having us. This is Thank great. But we have invited you here today. Thanks for coming out, Woo. guys. We've invited you here to play Love a game it. we're calling... Welcome to the real South Side. So, yeah. if you start, mm. say, at the corner of 75th and Ashland, yep. and you head south, and you keep heading south, uh-huh. you will eventually reach the southest of sides, that is Antarctica. So, we're going to ask you <laughs> three questions about Antarctica. Get okay. two right, you want a prize, whatever. All right. Voice of their choice in their voicemail. He's ready. Bill Hora, Bashir, and Sultan playing for it. Man, let's do this. Jen Freitag of Chicago, Illinois. All right. All right. Hey, Jen. Hi, Jen. Here is your first question. The first person to reach the South Pole was the Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen in 1911. And the tent he set up when he got there has been designated as an official world historic site, even though what? A, nobody has any idea where it is. B, it melted and dissolved into the ocean seven years ago. Mm. Or C, it is the place where Amundsen's group ate their weakest member. (laughs) Um, do you think he ate somebody? I think it's A. You're right. That's what it was. Nobody has any idea where it is. Just so you they, know, I read about this before we came. They yeah. th- they oh, you did your research. They think yep. it's like 50 feet beneath the current surface of the ice, maybe over there that way. They don't really know. All right. There it is. Next question. By the time Richard Byrd led his 1928 expedition mm-hmm. to the South Pole, Antarctica. Famous 28 expedition. That one. You know that, right? Yep. Who doesn't? Where that? <laughs> I got a Richard Bird shirt at home. Yeah. <laughs> when he led his expedition there in 1928, Antarctica had developed such a reputation for driving men insane in the mm. wild, cold wastes mm-hmm. that he brought along what on the trip? A, 12 straitjackets. B, a couch so he could give his men therapy if needed. Mm-hmm. Or C, three seasonal affective disorder lamps. Um. What do you think? You say you're going to go, should we go ahead? I, I got to go with straight jacks. Hey. I'll support you. Let's go You're ahead. right. It was straight jackets. Yeah. I don't know. My mom's going to be so proud. <laughs> we'll see if we can make her proud. Yeah. Last question. <laughs> Trying. So in current, there are, of course, lots of current expeditions to uh, the South Pole. <laughs> but if you wanted to go there to the South Pole now on an expedition and you are a doctor, yes. you have to make some preparations before you go, mm-hmm. including what? 
A, you have to bring along a lot of sugar pills because people get bored and make up reasons to see the doctor just to have something to do. Mm. B, have your own appendix removed. Or C, stock up on wooden medical instruments because your hand sticks to scalpels in that cold. What's your gut telling you? I mean, I tell you what, what's your appendix telling you? So what's it going to be? I support you. I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going with the wood, bro. Oh, all right, man. all right, that's fine. That's fine. We've already won. Right. So anyway, so Bashir, Bashir's going appendix. versus appendix. Sultan is going with the wooden instruments, and, and the winner right, is Bashir. It was in fact. All right. Oh wait. <laughs> oh, the appendix. Man. In 1961. <laughs> Those in 1961, a Russian doctor was at the South Pole, his own appendix burst, and he had to um, remove it himself. Yeah. With the reasons butt. that you speculate. No yeah. one else to do it. So ever Recreated since then, in the scene get it taken care of before sh- you go. I'm yeah. sure he used wooden instruments. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, how did they do in our quiz? They've gone where few have gone before and got them all right. What? You did. All right. To collectively, together. Oh, man. And guys, i got to tell you, if you think these guys are funny here, you should see their TV show. Bashir and Sultan Saladin star in Southside. It's on HBO Max. Seasons one and season two is out now. Watch it. Bashir and Sultan. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Bravo. When we come back, yes, two queens, Cindy Lauper and Misty Copeland. We'll be back in a minute with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stearns & Foster. To Stearns & Foster, your comfort is their everything. So they've made a mattress that's irresistible inside and out. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted every stitch. Every layer uses the finest materials like indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for the coziness you want with the support you need. Timeless quality for your most comfortable sleep. Stearns & Foster, what comfort should be. More at StearnsAndFoster.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV isn't just good, it's brilliant. With exceptional television from around the world. Their romances are more charming, their mysteries cozier, their noirs more gripping, and their comedies cleverer. More clever? Oh, you get it. Acorn TV is brilliant stories told brilliantly. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. So, in a nutshell, Acorn TV. Brilliant. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. From NPR... WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host at the Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We are almost done with this week's show, and we still have not received that presidential phone call, so it is time to bring out the big guns, by which we mean two of the most amazing guests we've had over the last two and a half decades. First, pop legend and composer Cindy Lauper, who joined us in 2018. Peter began by asking her if it was true she was almost born in a New York taxi cab. Yeah. And I tell you, I ain't been right ever since. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you uh, get into music initially? What What were your first jobs when you were getting started? Well, I was a hot walker at Belmont. You were a um, what? A hot walker. What is you a walk hot walker? You walk the walk? horses. Oh. You walk the horses when they're hot. You got to get there really early, though. That's really tough, you know, because you're up at 4 a.m., you know. I used to, no, I, I had run away to Long Island because I lived in the city, and I thought I was missing something in suburbia. <laughs> so I ran away to suburbia, and then I realized, hey, what the heck am I doing here, you know? <laughs> and then I, I was going to be a painter. So I went to Canada to the Algonquin Provincial Park, and I did a tree study. I just drew trees. 
And then, um, unfortunately, I went with my dog at the height of the black fly season, so that kind of didn't work out very well. <laughs> we were all bitten up. Both no, it was terrible. So, yeah, so I, I guess really it just pop stardom was a last resort for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Well, I had a lot of jobs. I was even a gal Friday the 13th. A what? I... A gal well, Friday the 13th? What's that? Yeah, well, it's a gal Friday who's really horrible at her, at her job. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask you, back in the 80s, one of the things you were known for was like you were really into wrestling. Yeah, I, I was a wrestling manager for a while. I was um, Captain Wu Albano. Yeah, I remember he this. Was. Did you, uh, there, is there a story with him and, and your famous song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, I'm told? Oh, we had a fight, and uh, I was on the Roddy Piper show, you know, Piper's Pit, and I was talking to Roddy, and all of a sudden, Lou came on, uh-huh. and he said, you know, he started talking about women, you know, that we belong barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, and, you know, he was the one that did everything, but he started to say, like, real sexist stuff, and yeah. I said, Lou... You starting to make me angry, right? Uh-huh. And then he wouldn't stop. And you know when you hang out with wrestlers, wrestlers have episodes, but if you hang out with them, sometimes you have an episode yourself. This and happens. I did. This happens to me all the time. So yeah. did you hit him with a folding chair? What did you do? No, I turned over the table, and I pulled on his beard and hit him with my purse over the head. <laughs> Sounds like he deserved it. Most people don't know this, but you, Cindy Lauper, have won an Emmy uh, for your uh, performances on TV, Mad About You, a Grammy yeah. for your records, a Tony for, um, for uh, Kinky Boots. Kinky how, Boots. How are you going to win your Oscar? Everybody says that. I'm going to have to now. You because, are. You know, I got some time left. I, yeah, I'm still above the grass. You That's know true. <laughs> Well, we think you'll do it, but in the meantime, Cindy Lauper, it is a pleasure to talk to you, and we've invited you here to play a game we're calling I'm King of the World. You wrote the show, wow. King, you wrote the show Kinky Boots, and it just so happens if you take Kinky Boots and you change two letters, that makes Sinky Boats. Wow. That's right. You probably saw this coming. Okay. <laughs> We're going to ask you about the most famous sinky boat of all time, the Titanic. Get, oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Get two right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of your choice in their voicemail. Bill, who is Cindy Lauper playing for? Allison Carter of Phoenix, Arizona. All right, you ready to do this? Allison, I'm going to do my best, hon. Okay. Well, here great. we go. Here's your first question. It's well known that the musicians aboard the Titanic played on as the boat sank. To show their appreciation, the company that hired those musicians for the cruise did which of these things? A, they created a special Music from the Titanic tour in which the band finished with Nearer My God to Thee and then were splashed with ice water. (laughs) B, they created the first ever contract writer specifying that all the musicians, no matter where they played on land or at sea, be provided with life jackets. Or C, they build the musicians' families for the cost of the uniforms that the musicians were wearing when they sunk. Oh, my God. All right, well, A sounds funny, but I think it's really B. You think it's really B, they, the first ever well, contract writer? Well, what else could they have done? They're not going to charge them for the uniforms. Come on. They charged him for the... U- so I was wrong, it's not B. Well, you haven't said anything yet, so... It's C. It's C, yeah, they actually did that. The father of one of the musicians got a letter asking him to pay the deposit in the uniform. He did not. <laughs> Your next question. The sinking of the Titanic led to safety improvements on future ships, as in which of these? A, the HMS Bannon installed a speaker at its bow that constantly played the message, Out of the way, iceberg! <laughs> B, the SS Eastland added additional lifeboats, which made it top-heavy, and it eventually capsized as a result. Or C, the SS Humphrey required all passengers to wear scuba gear at all times, just in case. Um, B. Yeah, it was the Eastland. Happened here in Chicago. Bad idea, but it's the thought that counts. Your last question is about uh, the former SNL star Bill Hader. The Titanic played a significant role in his career. What was it? A. 
He auditioned for Saturday Night Live with his character Blinky, the blind Titanic lookout. <laughs> That's pretty good. B, wow. B, a Titanic obsessive, he only went into performing to earn enough money to buy an actual Titanic lifeboat oar. Or C, he was fired from a movie theater in 1997 after he punished noisy patrons by going up to them and spoiling the ending of the movie Titanic. <laughs> Well, first of all, he could never have spoiled the ending because everybody knows the boat sank. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, just, can you go over that one? Yeah, okay, I'll go over again. So that was the third one. No, the the first one was he auditioned for Saturday You know how you audition for Saturday Night Live? You present a yeah, character. Yeah. He presented the character of Blinky, the blind Titanic lookout. I think that's it. You do? Yeah, I do. It was actually the last one. He spoiled the ending. He was working as an usher. Well, he didn't just go up and say, oh, by the way, the boat sank. He sat down next to me. He said, let me tell you what happened. The boat sinks and Rosie and Jack go into the water. And then they find this door. He told him the whole thing. And so he was fired by the movie theater. Went on to wow. better things. Bill, how did Cindy Lauper do in our quiz? I think she got two right, which means that you won, Cindy. Congratulations! Okay. Cindy Lauper is a Grammy and Tony Award winner. This year marks the 10th anniversary of her True Colors Fund. And you can catch her on tour with Rod Stewart this That's summer. That's right, Sir Rod. Sir, Sir Rod, Rod yes. Sir Rod. Cindy Lauper, thank you so much oh, for joining you. us on Broadway Tantamon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Their carbon steel cookware combines the best of cast iron and stainless clad, gets super hot, and is tough enough for grills or open flames. Remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're Made in Made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MadeInCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. Finally, one of the greatest and most famous ballerinas of our era, Misty Copeland, the first African-American prima ballerina at the American Ballet Theater. Peter asked her if she grew up as a typical bunhead with toddler-sized tutus. Absolutely not. I'd never heard classical music before. I was listening to Aretha Franklin and Mariah Carey. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I ended up training only for four years uh, before I was accepted into American Ballet Theater in New York City. That's crazy. But, yeah. She's like the LeBron James of <laughs> ballet a little bit. Yeah. One of the things about ballet, classical ballet especially, is it's obviously so incredibly strenuous. Except, mm -hmm. and, and part of the aesthetic is you have to seem absolutely effortless. So whenever I see a ballet, I always imagine that the people dancing around on their toes are constantly thinking to themselves, ow, 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 <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> is that true? Uh, on some days. Yeah. <laughs> we do talk on stage to each other, and I think some people think, why did I choose this career? Why am I doing this? Did, wait a minute. You said you talk to each other on stage? We do. What do you the say? Director, the artistic director may not want to hear that, but we have full-on conversations depending on, uh, you know, how rigorous the part is. Really? So, During like, the show? What are you having tonight for dinner? What, you know, Wait a minute. You going out to the club? So you're telling me, like, if I go see the Nutcracker and the Corda Ballet is back there and they're doing, like, the Sugar Plum Fairies, they're dancing around on point, and they're saying to each other, so what are you doing tonight? Oh, nothing. What about you? Oh. And do you have to like, wait for the person to come back around before you get your answer? <laughs> do, do, do you talk to them when you're like you're spinning around and you just get one word out when you're facing them? Hey, what are you doing after the show? Depending on how fast you spin. And do you talk smack sometimes? Let's see you jump with my foot on your shoe. Ha! I bet they do that. Oh, 
I'm going to go to the ballet tomorrow. Yeah. Suddenly has come alive for me. You know, Peter, yeah, I, I went to... makes us professional. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I, I went to my first ballet, and I saw uh, Aladdin from the Houston Ballet, yeah. and I was amazed. And I was ah. like, man, I think, I think these guys probably beat me up. Because, I mean, are they, are they, how strong are, are, are ballet dancers and ballerinas? I, I've always... They are the strongest people, I think, that exist, both, both mentally, emotionally, physically. And to be able to do all that we do on stage and for you to think we're just these little sugar plum fairies prancing oh. around is, is even more incredible. Right. I mean, I, 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 I don't mean to get personal, but uh, looking around on the Internet, your legs are quite the thing. Uh, you, I mean, it, it looks like it looks you like know, you know, know when how you, to talk pretty to me. I do, I do. Uh, <laughs> I was on the internet and I was looking at you on the internet. No, it's, no, seriously. I mean, if you, I mean, there, there are like. I'm just saying. I'm what I was saying. Quite the thing, both of them. I'm saying that if you, you know, when, you, when your career in the ballet ends, which hopefully won't happen for many years, you can get a job for like the NYPD kicking down doors for them. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're uh, also what you're supposed to say to a woman. Yeah, you can kick some doors down, babe. Yeah. Those legs, man. So one thing I've always wondered about people like yourself, because I am a terrible dancer. And so mm-hmm. whenever I'm at a, 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 you know, like a party or whatever where there's dancing, I do not dance. I am on the sides. Uh-huh. You are one of the greatest dancers, well, in the world. So when you're at a party and like, the dance music starts up, <laughs> do you say to yourself, now it's my time? <laughs> <laughs> Can you twerk? I mean, you could twerk, right? Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, come on, you can twerk, come on. I get down, I listen to a lot of hip-hop and R&B and soul. Uh, I don't know if I've ever twerked. Well, the thing oh, is, I think, is, I, I think someone would have noticed, Misty. Yeah. I think it would have been quite the YouTube sensation had you done it. Well, Misty Copeland, we're delighted to talk to you. We've asked you here to play a game we're calling... Hey, Nani Nani. You oh. are a classical ballerina, but classical ballet is a newfangled upstart compared to Morris dancing, which scholars believe originated one night in the Middle Ages when some guys got really, really drunk. We're going to ask you three questions about Morris dancing. Get two right, you win our prize. Carl, who is Misty Copeland playing for? Misty is playing for Barbara Woods of Anacortes, Washington. Now, uh, before we get started, let's establish what uh, Morris dancing is. It is, a, it is a very old kind of British folk dance, and they put on these costumes with bells, and they dance about... In like county squares and like Game of Thrones stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now that we've established that, here's your first question. As we've said, Morris dancing is ancient. People do like to mix it up. Which of these is a new trend in Morris dancing? A hip hop Morris, in which dancers dance to rap hits from the likes of Jay Z and Lil Wayne. B goth Morris, in which dances are changed into weird satanic-like rituals. Or C Morris the cat dancing, <laughs> in which dancers incorporate licking themselves and coughing up hairballs. Oh, wow. Um, I, I feel like A seems the most normal. Hip-hop Morris? Yeah. Actually, no, it's B. It's goth Morris is the latest oh, thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I thought goth went out in the 90s. No, no, no. <laughs> They're just getting around to it in England, apparently. <laughs> That's okay. You still have two more chances, Misty, so you're going you're gonna to get this, oh, I'm sure. Okay. Okay. Now, Morris dancing has is, 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 is spawned all kinds of spin-off industries because it's popular, as in which of these? A, a personal injury lawyer specializing in Morris dancing injury claims, like being hit in the face with a Morris stick. B, no Morris, an iPhone app that helps you avoid any Morris dancers in your area. Or C, Errol Morris dancing, a form of the dance and when you merely stare at the audience and say very little. A? A, yes, it's A. Apparently, apparently if you're in a Morris dance troupe and you injure yourself like getting hit with a Morris stick, you could be able to sue your own Morris dance troupe. All right, if you get, if you get this last one right, you will win everything. Having been around for a very long time, Morris dancing has inspired a number of jokes. Which of these 
is a classic Morris dancing joke, sure to get a laugh in Morris dancing circles. A, three Morris dancers walk into a bar and immediately get thrown out because everybody hates Morris dance. (laughs) B, why did the Morris dancers cross the road? Because they were being chased by a mob because everybody hates Morris dance. (laughs) Or C, why do Morris dancers wear bells so they can annoy the blind as well? C is, in fact, the right answer. We, that, that, is, that is the classic Morris dance joke. Carl, how did Misty Copeland do in our quiz? Well, she had enough correct answers to win, Peter, so she is a winner. Well done, Misty. Misty Copeland is a soloist with the American Ballet Theater. Her memoir, Life in Motion, an Unlikely Ballerina, is out now. Pick it up. She's amazing. Thank you so much, Misty. Great to talk to you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for our Please, Someone Important Finally Notice That We've Been Around For 25 Years edition. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Gotika writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our tour manager is Shana Donald. BJ Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our Presidential Medal of Freedom is Peter Gwynn. Our Vibes Coordinator is Emma Choi. Technical Direction is from Lorna White. Our Business and Ops Manager is Colin Miller. Our Production Manager is Robert Newhouse. Our Senior Producer is Ian Chillog. And the Executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to everyone you heard, all of our panelists, our guests, of course, Bill Curtis, and thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal. We'll be back next week. This is NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. And those at Delta are travelers just like you. That's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.